From the recording studio at Wimberley Road, welcome to Extraordinary Joes, where we tell the extraordinary stories of ordinary people, just like you and me. Each week, we'll sit down with a special guest and hear the story of their life, career, and lessons they've learned along the way. After spending some time with our guest, you just might realize that your next extraordinary story is well within reach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Extraordinary Joes. Uh, it's my pleasure to be joined by a longtime friend of mine, uh, Harmon Hansen, today on the show. Harmon, thanks for, for hopping in. Oh, man, it's awesome to be here, Brian. Uh, we're going to get to our, uh, our formalities here in a minute with our intros, but we're going to start with uh, previously known as Rapid Fire, but in season two of Extraordinary Joes, we're going with overrated or underrated. Harm, if you are ready. I am ready. All right. Uh, overrated or underrated, the Walkman. Mm. And I'd like to, I'd like to, pre I'd like to go with uh, the Walkman upon like during its its time. You know, like obviously now it's different, but the heyday of the Walkman. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, overrated. Really? You can't skip songs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was something that i really enjoyed when the disc man yeah nice okay um the avid brothers um you underrated i think you. they're amazing songwriters um i get to think about my good friend henley every time i hear him um uh, yeah i think they're really good Absolutely. you know what was disappointing to me is um i've never been like the the cool guy on the music scene um and i don't know if it was you or another friend who who like who knows music a lot better than me. But when I first heard the Avid brothers, I was like really excited to tell someone like this, you know, new band that I had discovered. And it was like, no, they've been cool for a really long time. I thought I was like finally getting in on the, on the ground floor. Uh, but I'm glad I got in when I did. All right. The banjo. Uh, underrated. Do you, do you, do you banjo? You play the banjo? I do banjo. Um, I think it's an amazing instrument. What's great about it is that it can be loud. It can kind of be its own amplification, um, the way it's built. So it's cool to play in acoustic settings because you can hear yourself. Is it is a banjo more, is it more picking than strumming as compared to a guitar, or is it? Similar? Yeah, plucking okay. maybe. Plucking. Okay. Um, but um, I play it more kind of like a guitarist playing a banjo. Got it. Okay. All right. Another musical instrument, the kazoo. Kazoo. I'm going to go overrated. <laughs> Can't play different notes. Um, and I don't know how pleasurable that sound is. <laughs> uh, okay. Going in a different direction here. Uh, long Johns. Long Johns, um, underrated. Now, growing up in Georgia, I you know, didn't have much use for them. But when you're out on the ski slopes here in Colorado, game changer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Gotta keep my core warm. All right. I don't, hopefully this will, uh, this will fall under the FCC's uh, regulations here. Whitey tidies. Whitey tidies. 
I'm gonna say overrated. I don't. Well, I don't know who's highly rating them right now, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, no, I like I like to flow a little bit. I I was when I was writing that I was wondering if um, like are they are they are they popular? Like I don't know if they were ever popular, but when I was a kid, I remember that they were. You know, I wore some whitey tighties, or I don't know if a lot of people are are wearing whitey tighties anymore. I don't know, but it's probably age appropriate for where we were at at <laughs> right. the time. Um, I think you got to kind of boxers are almost like a, you know, a milestone. Yeah. Uh, you have to get there. Okay. Uh, toe socks. Toe socks. Um, overrated. No socks. Oh, underrated. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like socks at all. Um, I wear sandals out here in the snow and get some funny looks from time to time. But yeah, if I could never wear socks for most of the time, I'm yeah, I'm happy with that. All right. Uh, dreadlocks. Hmm. Um, underrated. I think, uh, I think they take a lot of commitment and, um, I think that I respect anybody that's going to make that big of a commitment about their style. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Respect. Did I ever share with you that, I, that for a brief moment, uh, for several brief moments at different points that I've toyed with the idea of a man bun? I've experienced the man bun. You haven't told me that, but, um, I could see that once uh, again, you have to commit through yeah. the times. When I did some research, there was, they were talking about the time between like when you started and when you finally made it to the man bun. And I didn't know if I could handle that. Many are caught in limbo and go back to the, the buzz cut because they yeah. can't make it. Uh, teeth whitener. Teeth whitener. Um, I think that could be useful for some. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say overrated. I'd like to set the standard for brushing your teeth being enough. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all right. Here we go. The, um, the domed ballpark. Mm. Overrated. Sandlot park that I really yeah I didn't think you would I didn't think you would go with that uh, Sandlot the movie oh under it you you can't overrate Sandlot did they make a two or did they make a sequel if they did I don't know about it and I kind of it was probably over <laughs> okay uh, sack flies sack flies underrated get your runs okay I'm hoping that I'm getting this date right. Because I know that I will be, uh, you'll be disappointed in me. I, I'm going to say, let's see. Uh, is it 19, the 1994 Glen County Parks and Re Rex machine, uh, pitch machine state championship team? Am I getting the year right? Um, 1994, correct. Um, I would, I can't imagine overrating that squad. <laughs> Um, you don't have to add the pitching machine part to I gotta it. I leave that out next time. You can. <laughs> <laughs> but we were we were crushing that pitching machine. Yeah. Uh, biking. Biking underrated. Love it. Uh, rollerblading. Underrated. Miss you do it. a lot of rollerblading. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I started skiing at 28 years old, and uh, more than anything, I find myself coming back to my rollerblading days. 
uh, and to talk a little bit about some St. Simon's Island history. Um, you know, Mighty Ducks came out mm-hmm. right at the perfect time for my development in sports. Probably many ways. Out. Yeah, many ways. Loved that movie. And I thought I could be a good hockey player, but we had no opportunity around here. Right. The, um, you know, Mike Kinlan, their dad used to take them down to Jacksonville. My dad wasn't into that. <laughs> but we had street hockey games in Dunbar Creek in that cul-de-sac right by Scott McGuire's house. Yeah. And uh, there were some epic battles. <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, my career as a, as a, as a hockey player probably was cut short by no opportunities. So um, rollerblading is great. Um, and it helps out um, skiing. I yeah. go back to some of those memories. Um, hiking. Hiking. Oh, underrated. It's awesome. It's awesome out there, huh? Yeah. I mean, to be able to jump out of the city, be able to climb up to a mountain, look down, um, take the dogs out. Um, we hike whenever we can, at least yeah. once or twice a week. It's also great. We'll talk a little bit more about um, kind of what I do for uh, work. And um, I think hiking is a great way to have a therapy session. Yeah. Um, being able to move, um, get your body going, um, frees up your mind. Um, so, yeah. Love hiking. All right, Harm. Thanks for playing along with our over-under uh, if you'll take a few minutes and uh, introduce yourself to the to the listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, cool. Um, I am Harmon Hansen, um, a native of St. Simon's Island, um, where probably most of our listeners are around that yeah. area. Um, I currently live in Denver, Colorado. And I work as a therapist, counselor, um, work mostly with young people. Um, Age range can vary, but mostly teenagers, um, young adults. Um, I am also uh, a musician, a friend, a a recent fiance. (laughs) Um, I, uh, yeah, I I think that... um, I have a lot of roots from my Southern heritage, but I also love the adventure and newness of being out in Colorado. Um, yeah, I think that's me. Yeah. For the most part. Um, Harm, the first thing I, I'm curious about uh, is, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing some work, well, I mean, with, with, younger kids in the school system, but uh, also some work with some high school age students in trying to find out, um, you know, who, who they are, how they can impact the world around them, what they believe. Um, and I, it's really been a pretty incredible experience for me. But, you know, one of the things that you that you see is the the uh, the tension between being yourself and, you know, being sort of what works what fits with everybody else and, you know, the cliche, I guess, of like fitting in and and following the crowd and those kind of things. Uh, That was definitely not how I would have described you in high school. Like I, I, you know, uh, or, or just growing up, you know, together. Um, There was, there was, 
and, and there still is, um, a, a uniqueness to who you are and, and how you live and how you do things. Um, was there a point when you sort of understood that or uh, recognized that about you? And, and also, how did you cultivate that? And as a particularly as a teen, when when the outside noise kind of tries to put you, uh, you know, in a certain box or with a certain group? Yeah, um, that is a engaging question, bringing me back to those days. Um, I think that I always came out a little weird, a little odd, just naturally growing up, um, saying off the wall things and getting, you know, I was probably validated by other people laughing or enjoying it. Um, but I, I think that I, I always really value uniqueness and the people that I seek out um, to engage with and just in myself. It is tough to know where that comes from. Um, I think that I was allowed to be myself by, you know, my supporting parents. And, um, but I think that once high school hit, um, you know, there's a lot of different voices out there, kind of, um, what, what paths to take, who to be, um, and, uh, Oh no, I had an easier time shutting that out and kind of was in touch with, you know, who I wanted to be. It's interesting that has not always played out as much as time goes on. Um, I think that you, you do look at yourself as an adult with a little bit more of a responsibility um, and not as much freedom. So I don't know if I completely answered that, but um, it's nice of you to uh, <laughs> remind remind me of those days. Yeah, well, uh, curious. You know, you talk about um, the challenges of doing that in adulthood. Has there been any any sort of tension with you in that regard? And if so, like how have you managed that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have tried to delay the responsibilities of adulthood with every bone in my body for very long. <laughs> I would say it's only been the past like five or so years that I've kind of um, embraced like what it feels like to feel stable, what it feels like to feel like life is predictable in a good way. Um I do. I love adventure. I say this all the time. I value adventure over stability. Um, but there are life lessons that come along and you're like, oh, wow, it feels nice to just have be grounded in my home, grounded in my relationship, grounded in my work. Yeah. Um, but I think that I'll always still seek out ways to uh, do things differently. Sure. I don't know always been fed by that yeah so um tell me a little bit more about your current role as a counselor and a therapist um what does that look like right now sort of on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of you know who you're helping and and how you're helping sure um i would say the majority of the folks that i work with are between the ages of 16 and 21 um, a lot of times folks that are kind of 
thinking about who they are, trying to figure out like what matters to them. Um, and also there's a lot of folks that are dealing with mental health struggles on a daily basis. And uh, I don't think that um, the pandemic has made that any easier. Um, so I think that I, I value the impact that you can have at that certain age. Um, you can, you know, I don't work as much with adults individually. Um, in some ways, we talk about kind of like that, you know, that cake is baked. <laughs> like that person is kind of who they are. Mm. And, but there are moments in uh, the teenage years where you're still figuring that out. So for as a therapist, it's really exciting um, to see the possibility of um, how they see themselves. I'm big into uh, narrative therapy, which is pretty simply like, how do you tell your story? Um, we have all these different events in our lives, but it's um, we can tell that story a million different ways too. We can tell it in ways that we empower ourselves, give ourselves grace, or we can, you know, judge ourselves, be really um, dismissive of our successes. Um, so that's a, that's a big part of what I try to bring into working with people of that age. All right. There's a, a lot I want to ask about that. But one, uh, you talk about the narrative uh, therapy aspect. And uh, maybe just putting you on the spot a little bit. But can you give an example of um because because we we don't we don't have to be with a counselor or with a therapist to do that right like how we how we the stories we tell ourselves um these are things i think that we can all do a better job of or benefit from can you give an example of um uh, of maybe two sides of the same coin right where where this this story sounds like this and it, and it kind of leads to this and the, the positive that side that you're talking about or the grace or the encouragement, um, same, same event, different story. Can you shed some light on kind of what that might look or sound like? Sure. Sure. I think that one that comes to mind is, um, kind of how, uh, young people feel about their education and like what decisions come next, you know, or, I've worked with young people that really had a tough time in the school environment and they um, talked about the possibility of getting their GED. And um, there might be a lot of people that say, well, you're getting your GED, you're selling yourself short. And there might be some of that messaging that could go into the young person. I've also seen people get that GED and be able to really bounce off from there because they were able to have a success mm. um, and build off of it and go into a learning environment that was more suited towards them. Right. But you could, you could, you know, tell that story and I dropped out of high school. Right. You know, I gave up. Or you could say, I actually found something that worked better for me and i was able to take that approach into my next step of education i want to go study something i don't want to go to a four-year school i want to you know maybe go to a trade school so i can 
learn um, something that I'm really interested in. Yeah. So it's all about just how you tell that story. Okay. So how much do you deal with, um, because, because, you know, we can, I guess we can tell ourselves stories or lies too. Right. You know, so like I can give myself a narrative that sounds good or feels good, but is also not the truth. Um, does that make sense? Sure. How much, how much do you sort of battle that or help people sift through that? Like them going on, you know, for example, with your, with your, your example, someone who maybe should have finished the high school thing or like could have, you know, but instead they made some choices that led to the GED. And then their story is like, oh man, I just, I didn't need that. Or, you know, my teacher, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you, do you have any um, sort of skills for combating sort of the, um, the lies that maybe we tell ourselves to, to make ourselves feel better, better about the decisions we've made? Well, I think there's, I think it's empowering to know that it was our choice either way. Gotcha. And so if part of the narrative is, well, um, you know, these teachers did this or whatever, I was kind of forced to be putting in this place. Right. Um, I would check that out with them. I'd say, well, you could have had a choice to work through that. You could have, you could have made the choice to, uh, if it was important to you to, um, push through yeah. whatever that be, have some resilience. Um, but you chose that it was the GED, right? You know what? That's your choice. Let's work with that. Yeah. As far as like working with clients where they may have a different interpretation of reality, <laughs> you have to be, you have to be careful because you do a therapist's job is not to say hey that's not true right, right. hey you have to be gentle about like kind of uncovering their truth them uncovering their truth because yeah. if it's you uncovering it for them but if we're talking about kind of personally um not kind of in the therapist um client relationship um you know truth it's subjective in my opinion, yeah. most of the time, everybody has their, their different truths and there may be stories. There may even be, you know, we can think about it. There might be a fictional book that was really inspiring to you. Did it happen? Maybe not, but is that story valuable to you? Does that story inspire you to be a better person? And if so, does it really matter whether that happened or not? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not a black and white, yeah. you know, yeah. person. So I leave all types of room for what someone's truth is and, you know, different interpretations. Yeah. I mean, and I guess thinking about it further, um, yeah, I mean, you think about some of the, like the memories that you have growing up. I mean, I've, I feel like I've had several of these in the last several years where I've gone and shared like, Hey, remember, you know, such and such. And like, no, that wasn't, that wasn't what it was like that. That's not how it happened. Or that's not what that looked like. And I'm like, nah, are you sure? You know, like in, in my mind, that experience was a very specific way. And, uh, and who knows what reality is, but I guess same concept, right? Like we all, we see things and experience things and then, tell ourselves what we saw and experience. Um, 
and draw from it what you know what we will that's a good that's a good point um what about harm um your your interactions with parents are you able to have conversations with with parents and and sort of open their eyes i know you can't share everything but to some of the things that their kids are experiencing or, or help them better understand um their their teens perspective or what they're gro- going through I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about those experiences for you sure um i think that's a big part of what i do when working with parents and um i think that we had a conversation early on i was like brian i'm starting parent coaching which i think is kind of hilarious <laughs> Um, and to some people that would know me, um, I don't have any children currently. Um, but, uh, I, I do work as a parent coach and I've had a lot of success being able to bridge that gap of communication between young person and parent. Um, I think there's still a part of me that like is still there. We call it arrested development or whatever (laughs) that may be my heart and soul is still probably around 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, but understanding uh, what helps that person, young person, what doesn't, um, what's important. I think parents can really get in the headspace of, um, of fear-based decision-making um, and trying to make all those decisions for their kid. And I'm not saying that that, can't work for some but a lot of the young folks that i work with they want to be able to make a choice themselves and uh what parents can do is um you know create really concrete and clear expectations um so that you're not always arguing about am i grounded am i not um you know like for parents to be very predictable in their responses to different things and be able to also still have attend to the relationship. A lot of parents, they tend to get the, the whole relationship becomes about rules or the, you know, what expectations you're meeting. And um, I think that puts a strain on it and it makes it harder for those two, you know, those two parties, if you will, to communicate. Yeah. I, one of the groups that I worked with, um, recently, uh, we did a, it was a group of high school students and we, we did a little intro session at the beginning and I, I, I coach co- uh, high school basketball and coach college basketball, but it's been a while for, for, to, to have spent significant time around that age group. And I left, um, like very burdened for them after hearing all of the cha- the things that they go th- that they experience as high school kids and uh i don't remember feeling very s- stressed i'm sure i did but like i don't remember feeling super stressed during high school um i remember i chose my college like may of my senior year you know and it was close and some friends were going there like that was my college selection process it was not a very good one a uh, good good selection process, but I don't remember feeling like super stressed about it. Um, but but all these things, all the things for them, like college and school and and parents and and grades and friends and and it was not like you know um, 
it wasn't like to be like, oh, this is high school. It was like you could feel the weight of their stress. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just wondered, I wondered if you know how much of that their parents knew, not like like knew about, but like really knew. Um, and so my question to you is, uh, w- what are some things that you've learned from the from the group that you work with? that like maybe they wish whether articulated or not, they wish their parents knew that would like help them understand their child better or their teen better. Hmm. Um, I wish that parents, I, I think that young people wish that parents were aware of the energy of their own anxiety that can get brought kind of, into their world the parents anxiety transferring to the kids and being able to know what's theirs and what's their kids Mm. a lot of times i work with parents i'm like they talk to me about how concerned they are well what if they do this what do they do that and i'm like you know that may happen but it seems like this is more to do with your anxiety about the next step and let's kind of explore like what do you have control over what do you not have control over and so i think that you know um the love for someone's children can um really really influence um some of the fear and concern for what's next and it comes from a good place um but there are times where parents feel as though that they have control of every aspect that comes next and you know the world is an unpredictable place and especially teenagers are yeah Um, so maybe just like recognizing what's their own anxiety and emotions going into some stuff and what is um their kids yeah maybe separate that sometimes yeah i mean that and and that's that's like even easy to see um with younger even like my kids age i don't like have i don't like have any anxiety about what they're doing or the choices they're making because they're not there yet but but like my anxiety or stress or whatever you want to call it from anything else I'm doing that is completely unrelated to my kids, it's really easy for it to come out on my kids, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. We can think about all those parents in the stands of, you know, at the ballpark at Mallory Park. Right. And they're flipping out. Right, right. And it's like, is that, is that for your kid? (laughs) um, Yeah. It's, it's tough to see. It's tough to recognize. Um, Harm, you mentioned, you mentioned the pandemic and, um, oh, actually I want to ask you about, about story. One more question about story. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by, um, so one of the, one of the things that I have been exploring over the last few, several years is like, you know, there's a, um, I don't want to call it a movement, but there's like sort of a, a train of thought that talks about like finding your passion and finding your purpose and, um, at least for now, I'm I'm settled into a little uh, bit of a place where I, I I don't like that narrative because um, 
to me, it feels, it feels too big to find, you know, your purpose, like the, uh, like capital P. Um, and, and I'll, I won't, I won't like bore everyone, but, but there also the thing about like passion, there's some dangerous, I think, um, assumptions there and, and, and choices people make around like trying to find their passion. But, uh, but, but I'm fascinated by that whole, uh, discovery process. And, um, the place that I've settled into now is not, um, is not finding like your purpose, but living on purpose, right? So like finding what those things are that are important and then living into them as opposed to like trying to find the one big thing to, to like validate your existence on the planet. Um, but you mentioned, you mentioned some of those similar concepts surrounding story and, and teens finding, you know, finding their next steps. Uh, what have you found to be, um, sort of most helpful or impactful when you're having these conversations and discoveries with teens about sort of solidifying who they are and what they want to do, even if it's just next, right? Not forever, but like, how do I take a next strong step based on who I am? What have you found is a sort of good practice for you? Um, well, one tool that I use a lot, that's really helpful is called the act matrix. It's um, through acceptance and commitment therapy. So act. Um, and it's really simple. Anyone can do this. It's kind of like four quadrants, but essentially you look at what matters to you. What do you care about? And it's not just one thing. It's a list. And with some clients, it's more of what are concrete goals that you want to achieve? And some folks that are able to kind of think a little bit deeper levels, you know, what are your values? What matters to you? What do you look for in friends? What are things that you're working on for yourself? Is this like a and questionnaire? You, is it like questionnaire or just a verbal um, conversation? Um, I mean, it's you use the tool, the act matrix, which is essentially like four, four uh, quadrants. And in the bottom right, it's your values, things that you care about, that you're moving towards. Mm -hmm. And um, the there are also things that are in between us and what we value. These can be feelings of inadequacy, uh, not wanting to put forth effort, um, or maybe there's uh, just different different feelings that you go through discomfort is essentially what you're is a big general way of looking at it what discomfort is in between you and these values and then we kind of look at well what do you see action wise what actions move you closer to these things you value and what actions behaviors um move you farther away mm -hmm in some ways to avoid discomfort gotcha um yeah. and you make this with teenagers and there's a lot of common themes i think with everybody you know what are some of the things that we do to avoid discomfort distraction um you know social media um uh you know could be eating could be whatever it may be mm -hmm. but there's something that you're ah i could move through this discomfort into something that matters to me but i don't want to do this yeah and you're able to kind of pinpoint like 
Well, I have a choice, almost always, small ones and big ones. Do I move closer to the thing that I value or do I move away from it because I don't want to have discomfort? For you to really get to what you value, you probably are going to have to show up in some uncomfortable times. Sure. Um, so that's been helpful as like a tool. Um, as far as like when I first try to learn about what matters to someone, I'm like, when's the last time that you felt proud? Yeah. When's the last time that you really felt like yourself? Um, what, you know, what is something that you want to look back on this year and, um, be excited that you did? Um, those are a couple of just like, uh, ways to kind of get in touch with that. And of course it's all conversations are different. Yeah. Um, I like to let things flow, but those are a lot of places where I would probably start. Sure. Um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm staying on this this uh, teen thing, the story, because I'm uh, really intrigued by it. One of the things that I learned or was reminded of during my my recent um, session with the group was, um, despite sort of the sort of natural teenage behavior, right? Just, you know, naturally being in a certain stage um, is that t that they want to be taken seriously and that they have, they have serious things, you know, like it's not just a demand um, without anything backing it up, right? Like they want to be taken seriously and they have, they have important things inside that they're trying to figure out. H have you, experienced that as well and if so um i don't know can you can you speak on that from your perspective in terms of the conversations or what what you've learned in, in that regard because it just kind of i don't say it caught me off guard but it was a good reminder and it was like we should be paying we like just me i guess i don't know who we is but like i should be paying better attention you know even good parents i think we should be paying better like we should we should take heed of this you know this is important and if it's important to them we should we should give it the, the value that it deserves yeah um well i think that this goes uh goes for younger folks too especially like not just teenagers but you know uh, children elementary school middle school um there's definitely a tendency for adults to dismiss mm -hmm. the weight yeah of yeah a young person's experience and i try to remember that that young person their world is their world. Yeah. They have no other world to reference. So when something's a big deal, I'm in love. I'm in fourth grade. You bet you right. are. You know, I, it doesn't matter that you don't know all of these other life lessons that's going to color that differently as time goes on. Yeah. Hey, let me interrupt real quick because I think you'll appreciate this. I, I don't want to use any names, um, but I tell this story to, to, um, start some of my groups, I I would have gotten married in fourth grade if if like, all of the necessary parties would have signed off. And like, and I will, I was there and I will. Attest. <laughs> yes, you I would mean, have. it was important. It was really like, that was, like, like, just when you said that, it, it, that came to mind, like, you're, you're so right. And I, I try to remind myself about 
that with my kids and I, I don't do a very good job of, of most of the time, but there's no frame of reference about my job or like income or like the world, like whatever the world out there is like, there's a, there's their world. And, and, and it, I don't even know that it's as selfish as we make it out to be. It's just where they're living. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're so right. Like it's important. It's important to them and man, we should do a better job acknowledging that. One thing that I think is helpful is like for adults, our minds, they move really fast. They, um, they can go to this, they can go to that, they can go to that. And a lot of times what's helpful in being with a young person is really using your breath, of course, to slow down mm. and to be, and it's not like you are dumbing yourself down, but you're cleaning out all the clutter that's in your head that you can kind of come to the simple thought and the simple feeling that this person has. It may not be as complicated or convoluted as our adult perceptions. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned the pandemic earlier and, um, and sort of how it's affected, particularly the people that you have worked with. What, what are some of the things that, that you've noticed, uh, maybe showing up more frequently or, or being more pronounced during you know this time that we've been experiencing? Um, well, first of all, I, I've worked with a lot of kids that graduated high school last year. And, um, you know, even with folks that you would think, oh, they don't care about prom. They don't care about walking on a stage. I think that there's a lot of people that were really kind of robbed of an different experiences and everybody's been impacted in some way or another um but i think there's a lot of just normal milestones mm. that we gather for that um because of that and everybody's so distracted um that we don't give it its time we don't give it its due and you could probably say that for all different types of milestones, birthdays, things like that, that we're not able to give it its full due. Um, in regards to just like how high school people, folks, um, they just, I think that there's, they are used to so much social interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as time goes on, you're an adult, you kind of find, um, you know, you find your your pack or, you know, and it kind of, your circle kind of gets smaller as years go on. Um, but with young people, they just being around people, being around other humans, um, just in the physical proximity. And I think everybody misses that. I mean, I've missed going to see live music, I think for a lot of those yeah. reasons too. Like, um, just being in the same place with that many people, whether you, you're not going to talk to all of them. Right. And that's comforting about that. And there's probably something going on on some deeper biological sure. level that we don't even know. Um, but I think the isolation is definitely wearing on. Yeah. And I also think that there, 
when it, we come to the computer world, the social media world, like um, there are so many more opportunities to stay isolated, to stay in one chair, in one spot yeah. for hours and hours. And you tell a young person, okay, you can't do this. You can't do that. It's really hard for them to manage. Like, how do I take care of my mental health by going on a walk? Right. How do I, you know, take care of my mental health by like reaching out to this friend that I used to see in math class every afternoon, but we weren't really tight enough to text and right. to kind of get up. And all those relationships are kind of, they're gone for right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm, providing a specific no, yeah, answer yeah, that's good yeah. i think you're the the isolation part um I, I'm, there's a group of guys that i, I meet with o- online once a week uh, or i have been for the last few weeks and one guy was telling us last night that um and i don't know if he's exaggerating but he was like i've seen like two people during the pandemic right he said that very early on in the pandemic he he like hung out with somebody from six feet apart at, at the park. And then I think that was it, like his girlfriend and that's it. And so we, you know, he, he obviously talks to people on the computer, but it's, for so many reasons, it's not the same. And those are adults, you know, or that's an adult. So I, I think we're all on different levels. Everyone's experiencing some loss of, <clears throat> of human connection. I'm sure there, like you said, I'm sure there's a, at some point, it'll be a really interesting study on like the the effect, short term and long term effect of all that. But I, I think that's, I think you're right. I think that's one of the big the big impacts, and it's hard to, it's hard to measure, it's hard to determine when you're interacting with people and stuff, how how people are dealing with that, how people are struggling with that. Yeah, um, and people that do have like serious. I just want to add that yeah. people that do have serious mental health issues um there's people look for distractions to get out of their head you know i'm gonna go if i'm in school and i'm working on this i'm working on that i have the ability to take a break from my own head my own thought and there are less opportunities to take those breaks Mm. i think for I think it's impacting the population across the board. We know that, but for teenagers that are really struggling with depression, the fact that they kind of have to sit in their own mind for so long without any distractions or interactions, it makes it really, really tough. Yeah. Are you doing, are you doing much um, or an increased amount of therapy right now online? Are you still able to meet with people or? I do about half and half. Okay. Uh, I work with the families and respect whatever they are, um, you know, asking of me. I try to meet outside as much as possible. So we'll go to the park. We'll go on a hike. Um, and so that limit, uh, you know, lessens some of the, the risk involved. Um, but, you know, <laughs> when this first started, and we went to all virtual therapy. Man, it some for some folks it just doesn't work. It's really hard to keep 
someone engage, yeah. a young person engage on the screen. I'm sure a lot of teachers that, oh, yeah. oh, that yeah. there know that that is true as well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, the and I, I, I forgive me, I can't remember the, the best term for it, but like this nature therapy or this uh, activity based therapy. I, I'm not getting that right. Therapy yeah. is usually what okay. Experiential oh. therapy. Can you talk a little bit about like, um, not only like what that looks like, but uh, sort of the, the therapeutic impacts, right? So I think we, everyone could probably understand like, it's nice to get out and take a walk and it's good to be outside, but um, could you maybe expand on some of the, the therapeutic impacts of that and what that looks like, like in a session for someone that you're seeing? Sure. Um, I think that first and foremost, like, if you're a therapist working with young people, probably the first thing you're coming up against is just comfort level. Um, I think a lot of people picture therapy as like somebody's on a couch and they're just, you know, chatting away right. and I got my notebook and I'm with a lot of teenagers, young people. It's not like that. Yeah. There is some massaging of getting them comfortable to that place. With some people, we probably will do an activity, play tennis, go on a hike. And in that last 15 minutes, they are finally regulated to a place where they can say what's really on their yeah. mind. And it's that long. In general, our minds work better when we're moving. Um, a lot of research behind um just like what it does to our connections to our emotions, what it does to our ability to access different thoughts. Um, movement is very helpful. Um, the other piece is like, I like to um, create situations where there might be a challenge, where there might be some frustration. Um, we may work on a puzzle together. We may do um, work on a project together that we know this isn't going to go perfectly. But what we get to see is how does this young person handle stress? How does this young person um, communicate when um, under stress? Yeah. Um, that and if you go through something tough with someone, you immediately your rapport immediately goes up yeah you've shared an experience um so i think and it's also fun yeah. uh, i like to have fun and laugh with my clients and um do things that they're interested in uh, playing music together um i've learned more about D D than i probably <laughs> ever wanted to but uh being able to come into their world too mm -hmm. um, is um, really fun, and I also think it just like strengthens the relationship. Yeah. Well, Harm to uh, to wrap up. I'm uh, I'm curious if one there's anything else that you're uh, passionate about or excited about uh, right now that you'd like to share, or uh, there's something that I forgot to ask you about that uh, that you'd love to discuss. Okay. Um, well, I think that one thing that's on my mind, uh, that is the, uh, 
pandemic has allowed me some more time to record music and uh i am kind of reaching a milestone being able to put out my first homemade ep this oh year. wow so i'm really excited about that nice uh and uh yeah i, I think that something that as i look for you know we're t we've talked a lot about like kind of um, the work that I do and my ultimate goal is to start um, uh, to integrate music into the therapy um, more and more and to use music as a tool for self-expression uh, and uh, its therapeutic benefits. Um, and I think I'll tie this into a text message I got from a good friend. Who was like, Is you learning the ukulele worth it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would say yes. I would say adults, kids, anybody. I think that so much of music is looked at um, through the listener's eyes or ears. Um, and how it's perceived after it's played but i think there's so much value when you look at just humans as our civilization there have been so many people that didn't have a record deal that were playing by a campfire for centuries mm. and it's part of our um i think it's part of our kind of uh our right as a human to be able to express music yeah and uh, so I think that if there's a, and it doesn't have to be any amount, you can hit a couple of major chords on that piano every time you pass it by and you're going to the kitchen. But I, I would uh, maybe just put out a message that um, to, for folks to be kind to themselves and allow themselves to not be good at music, but to still experience. Nice. I, I got to ask, I know I'm trying to put you in a box, but what, what's the, what's sort of like, is there a style or a genre or uh, what would you call your uh, upcoming uh, record? Well, I'll tell a funny story. Uh, not really. Um, doesn't put me in the greatest light, but <laughs> I was, uh, I recently had a show to kind of release this, uh, this EP. And um, of course it got canceled with um, all of 2020. But I looked and, you know, they were like, for each, uh, if you looked at this venue's website, they would kind of be like, oh, this person. And then they'd be like, okay, uh, soulful hip hop, uh, you know, um, uh, rootsy jazz. Right. And then I click on mine and it was 70s AM radio. <laughs> and I was like, not a joke. I'm hoping so. So I, I, uh, that is not the description. <laughs> that I'm gonna... <laughs> but, um, I would say like soulful rock. The cool thing about it is I like pretty much played all the instruments. So there are some limitations to how much you're going to rock sure. by yourself. Um, but I would say, <laughs> uh, soulful acoustic rock. Um, yeah. Uh, that's probably a good, I also played another band where we're more um, 
electric. I play bass and guitar in a band, Puma Baracha, and we play really loud electronic jam music. Okay. Um, but the EP that's coming out is a little more tame. When is is there a, a target release date? Is this breaking news? Breaking news on Extraordinary Joe's. Breaking news. Let's put a date out there. Um, I would say you're going to see something in, in the next month. Okay. Um, and uh, there will be... Um, Finals available. Nice. Gonna gonna put it on wax. I nice. Think. All right, man. Good for you. That's awesome. Um, Thank you, Harm. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time and sharing um, about what you're doing, about how you're serving young people, what, what you're learning from them. Uh, I really appreciate. It. For me personally, it's just it's sort of been a part of my exploration uh, of late. So I know I learned a lot, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to share those stories with us. Of course. And I want to thank you very much, Ken and Brian, for uh, having me on the show and uh, for our friendship through the years. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, brother. I look forward to talking to you next time. All right. 